This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill är så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of Keep Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrowski, and joining me to talk about Eric Carlson and all of his teammates are someone that we'll introduce in a second, but also the fantasy hockey robot, Brian Com. Oh, hi, Elon. Hi, everybody. It's nice to be back with you for another edition of 31 Beats. Yes, it's finally time to talk about Eric Carlson. If you haven't noticed yet, we're actually recording these and releasing these mostly with a couple hiccups in order of uh, the lowest scoring teams to the highest scoring teams. And it's shocking that Eric Carlson is on such a low scoring team. It must be the whole team around him. Right, Elon? Well, I mean, we did ask this question. <laughs> Brian's like pretending that we haven't already recorded the interview <laughs> with Sheng Peng from Fear the Fin, where we discussed this and more about what the heck happened to the San Jose Sharks this season. It was a really fun interview. I think you are going to like it. So yeah, thanks so much for downloading the show. And I hope you've been enjoying the 31 Beats series so far. We're going to try to keep going as far as we can. But before we get into that, let's of course mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website out there. And they just keep bringing you the articles. doesn't matter. There could never be hockey ever again. And Dauber Hockey will still be producing all the articles and content. <laughs> Do you that think you that's need. true? I, I assume. I don't know. I haven't asked, but it uh, doesn't seem like they've ever slowed down. No, I just wonder if like we all knew that hockey wasn't coming like ever going to be played again. Would Dauber hockey still be like breaking down past seasons just for science? Maybe it would be interesting and fun. Uh, Let's get Dauber on one of these interviews (laughs) at some point and we could ask him. So, Brian, we've got this great interview to queue up. But before we do, we should mention that this episode is going to be released. People are listening to this the same night that we are releasing a patron cast, which has yet to be recorded. And I'm very excited about that. So, Brian, why don't you tell people about how they can listen to this amazing patron cast that we apparently recorded uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, the patron cast tonight is going to be so much fun. You can be a part of it if... If you just support our show and you say, hey, Elon, Brian, I like keeping Carlson. I like what you do. And I want to make sure the episodes keep coming. All it takes is a dollar a month pledge over on our Patreon. That's at patreon.com slash keeping Carlson. Not only will that get you access to our patron cast live or archived, if you didn't listen to this before we recorded it on Wednesday night, uh, but you'll also get access to our patrons only Facebook group where we're doing our annual patron fantasy ranking exercise where every day all the patrons vote on the next ranked player uh, that belongs in the fantasy rankings Uh, and it's a lot of fun there's a lot of discussion that goes with it a lot of jokes good times we're also playing some games with this draft game that elon made on a spreadsheet where you draft in real time based on past season stats and uh so you already know the results so it's just a a team construction competition which has turned out to be a lot of fun uh it's a brilliant stroke of brilliance one of many from elon debrowski anyway (laughs) if you want to uh get in on all of that patreon.com slash keeping carlson or keeping carlson.com slash patron yes uh it's funny actually the patron rankings today dougie hamilton just got listed and we had a good rant from dave betton about why this was a terrible pick (laughs) and the sample size of him being an elite defenseman is too small for everyone to be banking on him so early so uh that was a lot of fun all right without further ado brian let us cut to this great interview that we recorded with sheng peng i think you're really gonna like it so here it is It's still going? Okay. 
We are now fortunate enough to be joined by Sheng Peng, who is a fantastic and reliable San Jose Sharks cover. Uh, you might know him from his work at Fear the Fin over at SB Nation. He also does some work over at The Point Hockey, and you might have seen his work before at Vice Sports, NBC Asian America, or The Hockey News. But we see his work most often talking about San Jose Sharks, which gratefully he uh, accepted our invitation to come on Keeping Carlson and do with us. Shangs, welcome. Thank you for coming. Hey guys, what's up? Uh, not too much. Very excited to talk Sharks. You know, I don't know if people have been realizing, but we've actually been with this interview series. We're going around the league talking to different mm-hmm. beat writers, and we've actually been going in the order of teams who scored the fewest goals last season. Really? And I was very <laughs> surprised that the San Jose Sharks were so far down the list because I've known them to be such a high-scoring team. So I guess that leads me in to my first question, which is going to be about the team in general. And basically my question to sum it up is, what happened? Like going into 2019-20, I thought things were looking like great for the Sharks. Like if you go back a year, they have that huge summer 2018. They locked down Evander Kane. They trade for Eric Carlson. We saw Tomas Hurdle and Timo Meyer appear to break out as stars in 2018-19. Last summer, they got LeBanc to sign for nothing. <laughs> they, they extended Carlson. And like It seemed like the pieces were in place. Like, yeah, they lost Pavelski and some other mid-roster pieces like Donskoy, Nyquist, and Braun. And obviously their goaltending was still a question mark, but I assume they'd still be like a playoff team. Like with a chance to contend, they went on that nice run the year before, before losing to Vegas. But clearly, that's not what happened. As like as of the pause, the Sharks sit third last in the league with a twenty nine thirty six and five record, one point ahead of our Ottawa Senators, <laughs> Eric Carlson's former team. At least Detroit made San Jose look good this year. Uh, and like I said, as a bigger surprise, the team stopped scoring. They were fifth last in the league in goals for when they ranked third just the season before. Uh, so, of course, to be fair, the team had a lot of injuries. A Couture, Carlson, Hurdle, all missed significant time with injuries. And that, that's going to hurt. So could we just blame the bad season on injuries and expect the Sharks to get back to being a playoff contending team next season? Or do you expect them to continue to struggle when play resumes, whenever that happens to be? I would guess they'd still be in some trouble. Uh, over the summer, they obviously lost a lot of scoring in in uh, Pavelski and Nyquist and Donskoy. And they didn't really replace these guys with anybody else. Uh, I think the expectation was maybe some kids would step up and fill the void. But none of those kids stepped up. So you're already kind of lacking in that kind of uh, – if in 2018-19 they scored, uh, you know, uh, too many goals or they had more than enough scoring, right? Suddenly you lose those three major death pieces. You don't have more than enough scoring anymore. And to add on, com- to compound that, besides the injuries, then you have players taking a step back, guys like uh, Joe Thornton, uh, guys like Brent Burns. And so basically everybody took a step back, right? The guys who have breakout seasons seasons in 2018-19, like Hurdle, like Couture, they took a step back. Uh, the guys who you hope would, would maintain, you know, your death pieces were still there. Guys like Joe Thornton, he took a step back. And you hope some young guys would step in there, fill, you know, score some goals, fill some, fill, fill some of the void, and they did nothing. So, like, the struggle was clearly team-wide for Mm -hmm. San Jose. Um, One place where it was really visible, and I actually just want to get out in front of this because it might color uh, the way we talk about all the other players and where they, like, when we talk about them specifically and talk about where they struggled, the Sharks' power play was brutal this season. They ranked 23rd in the league in power play conversion rate. They succeeded on just 17.5% of their power play opportunities, which is a huge fall. They ranked 6th. In 2018-19, converting on almost 24% of their opportunities. So, like, they dropped 6% from way up front to way in the back. Uh, And this, like I said, had a big impact on a lot of players' point totals. What was the issue on the power play this season that ate into a lot of these guys' total overall scoring numbers? Well, a lot like uh, what we talked about with their forwards this season. Uh, First, the the Stars kind of took a step back. But also, too, though, uh, death matters on a power play, too. You know, your second power play unit is still needs to produce. And so when you lose guys like Nyquist, who were on your second power play, or guys like Pavelski, who he was on San Jose's top power play, but he pushes a guy down. He pushes a very good player down onto your second power play. That would be a Vander Kane right. uh, in the previous year. So you lack some depth there. Also, too, and not to pin it all, all on him, but... Early in the season, uh, Joe Thornton struggled terribly on a power play. Um, I think he went 
if I'm not mistaken, I got to look back on it, but I think he won like 50 games without a point on, without an assist on a power play. I could be something, something very dramatic. I, I had to be strong. I don't, I don't, I don't, don't quote me on that one, but, <laughs> but uh, he struggled terribly on a power play. And I, I did some, uh, some uh, kind of breaking down of, of early in the season when the team was healthier first 50 games or so and how the power play went uh, with uh, on the first unit uh, with Logan Couture. Logan Couture was, was a mainstay on the first unit and how the power play went uh, with Joe Thornton on the second unit. And in terms of these aren't like be all end all stats, but in terms of just like shot production, shot attempt production, I think, uh, I think Couture's, uh, uh, Couture's unit was averaging about a hundred, 20 or so for C4 per, per 60, you know, a pretty good total. Uh, um, uh, that would be a very good total league-wide, whereas Thornton's unit was going about 80. And so that gives the idea of the, of the difference, of just in terms of uh, – and then we know Joe Thornton's a different player. You know, Joe Thornton's a passer who's looking for the, the perfect shot, that sort of thing. So he's not going to you know necessarily create the shot volume. Also, too, Brent Burns wasn't always on – the Joe Thornton's power play unit. And of course, Brent Burns is a big part of a big engine of the shot production, shot attempt production for the Sharks. But just kind of underscores the, the, the idea, though, of just that they did not have the, the depth on the power play, too. And by the time we get to the end of the season with all the injuries, then you lose the your cream of the crop players. And so then you have Joe Thornton on your top power play unit. But then you have on your second unit, your second unit is literally, literally. Uh, guys like Barkley Gaudreau, you know, Stephen Nason, uh, Dylan Gambrell, um, you know, need I go on? <laughs> right. Yeah. So they were really exposed how thin the Sharks were. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. By, by the time we got to end of the season, when the injuries really did start to hit, then we saw that it was it was indeed a, a thin team. And we saw that early in the season, but they had enough of their top players healthy that kind of masked it. But, um, yeah, so then going back to the larger question of uh, if the season returns this year or next season, without any significant changes, um, they're probably going to be in a, in a good amount of trouble, even if some guys bounce back. It's, uh, it's funny because we just got finished uh, our Columbus interview with Allison Lucan, and we were also talking about how injuries affected the team. And she was like, well, actually, they are death pieces came in and didn't miss a beat and like you wouldn't think again it's just kind of shocking how thin the sharks were and how i feel like we were blind to it at the start of the season and then it became really apparent that the sharks could not even uh, pull off with whatever's in their system what columbus managed to do which was yeah. more or less keep rolling uh, better than the sharks did when they missed so many players yeah, that's a, that's a really good point about uh, Columbus. I think one of those things is um, the Sharks have had a lot of success, of course, under under Doug Wilson, and I, I believe it's uh, they've made the playoffs. What is it? Uh, they've only missed it once, not counting this season. Whatever happens with this season, but before this season, they had only missed uh, once since two thousand three, I think. And so that, of course, creates a lot of you know trust in terms of uh, what the management is seeing. But I can tell you though that uh, even during the the, the rookie games uh, this uh, this past year, the, they held the the rookie tournament uh, for the, the the Sharks were in a tournament with the Avalanche prospects, the Kings, the Golden Knights, the Ducks, and the Coyotes. And this was this tournament was in in September, and a lot of these same players that we would see the Sharks call up this year, the young players, were at these rookie games. And I was talking to scouts uh, back in September, and I was watching these guys, and of course this. Keep in mind, these are the rookie games. This is they're playing against, you know, rookie competition, prospect competition, you know, inferior competition compared to the NHL. And we were all saying, we're not sure what the, the Sharks are doing. We're watching these guys, and none of these guys are really flashing in any kind of way that makes you think, yes, they're flashing compared to their competition, but they're not flashing in a way that makes you think, oh, this guy is ready for an NHL job. And so even back then, it seemed like something was – was uh, just 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 didn't look right in terms of uh, what what their plan was, and um, I didn't think it would unfold so spectacularly bad <laughs> yeah. as as it did. But uh, even back then, you just you watch those you watch those rookie games. All the the angel scouts there talked to a few of them, and and no nobody nobody stood out even back then against against again against weaker competition. 
Right. That's very interesting. So it might be an interesting challenge for the Sharks they haven't faced in a long time where they're going to have to maybe go through a rebuild and see how good they can be at developing some new young talent. But, you know, they're not done yet. Like maybe once Couture and Hurdle and, you know, Eric Carlson, they're all back and healthy. I, I still feel like this team should be good enough to go on runs. So maybe we could go through some of these players and you could yeah. let us know because also we're a fantasy hockey podcast. So people are curious, like, can we still depend on these players for that <laughs> production for their fantasy teams? I want to start with our podcast namesake, Eric Carlson, who was putting up his worst offensive season in nine years he only had 40 points in 56 games that's a 59 point pace before having his season cut short by the finger injury and like obviously a 59 point point pace is still fantastic for a defenseman but probably not what the sharks were expecting in return for like 11 and a half million that he's going to be getting paid for the next uh, five seasons uh the year before his first with san jose it started a bit slow but then he put up a point per game pace starting in mid-november before he went down with a that time was a groin injury so what are your thoughts on eric carlson now that you've seen him wear teal for two seasons now do you think he could still be the 70 plus point uh, like play driving machine that he was on ottawa or do you think the sharks are potentially like regretting this huge contract they gave him at this point well uh let me ask you guys uh, how do you feel about changing your podcast to keeping carlson but changing the k to a c yeah and, and you had to take out one of the <laughs> one of the s's and then it's perfect it's like john carlson so you want your 70 point uh defenseman well there you go so we're no fair weather Carlson fans here. We're, we're All right, good for you guys. Good for you guys. Okay. How about William? He, he, he's pretty good. Yeah, All the Carlson ago, we were considering changing it to William Carlson, but right now, I think I still want to stick with Eric. I still feel like there's got to be hope. This player looks really. Yeah, good. no, I, I'm just, I'm just joking. Um, so with with Eric, um, I think it's 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 a, maybe a complicated. Uh, okay, he is not uh, who he was five years ago, and he probably will never be that guy again. But it, he was so great, though, that even uh, some diminishment of that talent, he can still be an elite defenseman. And I think uh, when we talk about uh, uh, Eric, uh, uh, you know, what drives his game? A lot of his game is driven by his skating. And there has it does appear like there's been some, uh, you know, like a like a little bit of a step back in in that in the last couple of years. And of course, he's had a lot of you know a couple of injuries, a couple of significant injuries, and so. I think that if, if we can start to see that back on a more consistent basis, then we'll start to see more of the old Eric Carlson. And of course, as players age too, they can make up for a little bit of, of their loss of physical skills with, you know, mental, you know, their, uh, their mental game, which, which, you know, Eric Carlson is very strong with. He's a very, very smart hockey player. And so I think that you can get that back. I can see that. I can see that coming back. But there are definitely question marks. You know, he's not, if we speak about fantasy purposes, he's not going to be your kind of your shoe in top defenseman pick, you know, until he proves that he belong, he deserves that once again. Right. And so I think he is a guy that might be worth picking up. You know, if, if, if guys in your league are a little bit uh, leery of him, he, you know, he could provide a, a good value. He still has a lot of the abilities that he had at his peak, whether that's his vision, his ability to, to make a pass, uh, the skating is there from time to time. Uh, during the season, I talked to uh, a sports medicine doctor, and I wondered about if uh, if Carlson's a groin surgery, which he had in a 2018-19 season, or after that season, if that was still affecting him this past year. And he says that, yeah, that, that kind of injury uh, can affect uh, um, uh, athletes especially an athlete like, like Eric Carlson that needs to use, you know, for his skating needs to use uh, those, those, those muscles so much, it can affect them uh, up to a year after that surgery. And Mm -hmm. so there is that kind of uh, possibility too. And we did see that stretch uh, in uh, 2018, 19 that you alluded to that he was scoring a point a game stretch uh, basically from November to mid January, which is uh, of the 2018, 19 season. Uh, That's when he hurt his groin. And for that stretch, for that, uh, what is that, two and a half months, 2018-19, uh, uh, before he hurt his groin, he was, he was, I thought, the best defenseman in the league. And that wasn't that far away. And so if he can come back to health, which is a big if, I think we can see, you know, maybe not 100% that Eric Carlson from a few years ago, but, you know, 95% of that, of that guy is still pretty damn special. So my question is how much of Eric Carlson's return, like you're saying a lot of it is just sort of on him and you've got the injury recovery Mm -hmm. and there are pieces of his game that he just needs to work on. But also I wonder like how much of it do you think is on him and how much of it is on coaching decisions being made around him? Mm -hmm. Uh, Cause you look at his five on five 
rate stats and his points per 60 was like the third best number of his career in five on five points per 60. And yet he was seeing his third lowest five on five time on ice per 60 rates. He was only seeing 17 more seconds a night than his sophomore season back in 2010, 11. He's also taking a lot fewer shots. So I'm just wondering, um, like, does he need a green light has, has, or has a green light been taken away from him that he needs to get back for him to really, even if the injury does heal. And even if he does gain, you know, some confidence back, is there something more that he needs from his coaches to be able to be fully unleashed? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, the shot rate I, I did notice. Um, and when he was producing at his uh, his peak in Teal, you know, in 2018-19, in that stretch, uh, that couple-month stretch that we alluded to where he was scoring a point a game uh, two years ago, he was shooting a lot. Uh, and actually, he was, you know, kind of, uh, uh, if not at his, like, kind of his, his not if not setting a career record, he was very, you know, very, very productive. Uh, with his uh, with his sh- with his shoot with his shot attempts uh, a couple of years ago and this year uh, that did sort of fall but I don't get any impression that there's uh, in in terms of um, he's not being given a green light uh, both San Jose's defensemen uh, Burns and Carlson have were pretty much given a complete green light <laughs> under Peter DeBoer to shoot away fire away mm-hmm. and I think under under Bob Bookner it changed a little bit where they they want they they de-emphasize the kind of the uh, the, the point shot a little bit and, and they try to get those guys to kind of play down in the zone a little bit more, kind of switch with the with forwards a little bit. And, uh, and so in theory that that takes away some of those shots from a distance, but in theory it gets you a better, more prime, you know, scoring chances uh, down, down low. And so, and so I, I feel like both of those guys in general are, are, even though there's some slight adjustment between DeBoer and Bugner, they're given pretty much carte blanche to do what they want. And so it is sort of a mystery in terms of why Carlson's shot rate was so low uh, this year. Uh, also, he's not a guy that likes to talk about it that much because I asked him two years ago why he was shooting so much, I mean, in a, in a much nicer way, and he didn't really want to talk about it. So he's oh. not a guy to really get into it. So he's not the guy that's going to give you an answer for that. Uh, but and also in terms of the other thing you mentioned, in terms of his five-on-five, five, uh, his minutes, of course, that's something to do with, of course, with Brent Burns. You have another guy who is, you know, of that stature, number one defenseman stature that you need to feed minutes. So he's not going to play as much as, as he used to. Uh, and to add to that, too, of course, uh, all his injuries, too. And so that's probably something else, too, that they were watching, too, to kind of, you know, uh, watch his minutes a bit. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Yeah, I leave it as a challenge to the listeners to try to name some other defensemen who were on the Sens, you know, like five years ago when Eric Carlson was getting all of that ice time. Mark Mathai, his partner. Yeah, yeah, his partner. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, you bring up Brent Burns, so let's switch over to him. And I guess we have kind of a similar question, right? He's been like a perennial first round pick in fantasy drafts. Like he's had crazy points for a defenseman and crazy shot counts. Like he was coming off a career high 83 points in 2018-19, which is wild. So obviously we were all a bit blindsided by the fall he had this past season he ended up with only 45 points in 70 games for a 53 point pace so a 30 point pace drop it's, it's a lot and at, he was also pacing for around 264 shots which again is a lot still for a defenseman but that would have been his lowest total and his first below 300 shots since 2014-15 so now we're going into Burns's age 35 season should we just accept that this was bound to happen eventually and Burns is finally starting to lose a step or do you think Maybe this past season was just an anomaly and beast mode. Brent Burns could still be back in 2021. Yeah, uh, it, I, of course, it is bound to happen at some point. But yeah, I'm not actually sure we're at that point yet. Of course, he is 35. And so that is kind of the the age where you assume that it's just, it's just over for a guy. But actually, uh, watching uh, both and, you know, bringing going back to, to Eric Carlson, watching both of them uh, this past year, Brent Burns still looks like Brent Burns to me, even if the productivity isn't there. I know that's just all eye test and, you know, who am I, you know, what, what, is, what does my word mean? But Eric Carlson at times did not look like Eric Carlson, you know, uh, you know, not, not to isolate just like one player or whatever, but uh, I remember I captured a play where uh, Jujar Kara uh, beat Eric Carlson wide. And I was just like, what? Yeah, <laughs> that's not right. <laughs> that's not right. <laughs> and so anyway, um, so Brent Burns still looks like, Brent Burns to me. Um, I, I think one of the underrated things too, and this also applies to Carlson also in terms of their shot rate is when your, your forwards are not as good and actually like, like, like far worse than they were the year before, you know, those guys, you know, especially when, when uh, under Peter DeBoer, it was more of a point shot, point shot based offense. 
when you have a point shot based offense, you need the forwards to go get the puck for you. And if your forwards aren't as good, they're not getting you the puck as much, or they're not getting it to you in, in a prime position, a, you know, good shooting position. They're getting it to you when you don't have as much space, maybe. Uh, when, the, when the guy's on top of you, you know, if uh, some forward passes the puck uh, to back to the point to Brett Burns, but Brett Burns doesn't have that split second that he would have had uh, two years ago with, uh, with, with better forwards, then that also will affect your, your shot rate. So anyway, that's, that's a side uh, in terms of uh, Brett Burns and Eric Carlson and, and their shooting rates. But anyway, I think, uh, I think Brent is a lot like Eric where they're both, uh, I think, uh, yeah, they, I think, I think, I, I, I do not think that, that they are your, 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 your number one defenseman picks for, for fantasy at this point. A lot of it is because they're the forward group around them isn't as reliable. But they're good. Uh, they're 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 good. Uh, they're good chances to take though if if they fall a little bit in your drafts. That's so sad to hear you say that. It's like the end of a fantasy era for <laughs> sure. Like it, like, and it's amazing that they both might be in the same space. And it just they're in different parts of their careers, but just because they're both in the same context, it's weird to see the two guys who are at the top of the heap just suddenly collapse off of it at the same time potentially we'll see as you know i'm i'm eternally optimistic about carlson but it's funny what you said about carlson and burns and how they interact with the forwards because in san jose it felt like at least from our perspective there was it was a chicken and egg question Mm -hmm. of you know where the forwards bad because carlson and burns had lost a step or were carlson and burns having a hard time because the forwards were bad and so it's it's interesting to hear your insight thinking that it was most likely the latter let's start talking about some of those forwards um and let's begin with logan couture who had a bit of a down season only 39 points in 52 games he missed a month and a half with an ankle injury in january and february and this was coming off a career 70 point campaign career high 70 point campaign a fantastic playoff run where Couture did what he does in the playoffs. He had 20 points in 20 games, 14 goals, which is just in line with all his other playoff performances, 20 points in 20 games. Like I just mentioned before that 12 points in 10 games, a few years before 30 points in 24 games, a few years before that 11 points in 11 games. So, in the regular season, Couture is like this 60, 70 point player, but he always gets to this other level come playoff time, which just is just like, why can't you do that in the regular season? Do you think he ever will? Or do you think about, you know, 65, 70 points is about as high as he can go? I could see him uh, hitting, you know, maybe a point a game, a uh, point per game uh, pace during the season. So it's about 80 points. But you know, some of the, you know, some of his uh, playoff paces, I think uh, the 2015, uh, 16 one day you mentioned, that's, that's going to be a 90, 100 point pace. I don't see him ever, ever hitting that. In terms of why he's so productive in the playoffs, uh, some guys are just, you know, Joe Cool in the postseason. And that's him. You know, he doesn't seem to, to fill the moment ever. And so that probably is something that helps him when other guys are kind of gripping their stick a little bit. That's not going to be Logan. Um, and so I think he's going to be a Mr. Reliable, even though he had a tough season uh, this season. But I think he should be a pretty reliable kind of, uh, like you said, 60, 70 points. I think we can count on that uh, as long as he stays healthy. One thing that really stood out from his season, we talked about the power play too. For him, it really hurt him. Uh, he was like, he was fine at five on five, even though he's a little down from last year. It's because he lost his production on the power play. No goals on the power play this year on 42 shots. Usually he has at least five or six, can have as many as 11, uh, but he had none in almost 70 games on 42 shots. Usually he shoots at least 10% on the power play. So that hurt him. Elon, is there another uh, forward? Who, who's the next guy you want to get to? Yeah, I guess I'd love to switch over to Tomas Hurdle, yeah. who's someone that I'd love to know, like, who is the real Tomas Hurdle, right? Because uh, I remember back when we first started doing this podcast, I don't know if you remember, Brian, he had that four goal game and everyone like lost their mind about Tomas Hurdle. I guess he was a rookie at the time. And then after that, like we knew this guy is talented and he would once in a while go on runs, but it was never especially no worthy in terms of like being a player who you could rely on for more than like 45 points or so and then a couple seasons ago you know he got that top line top power play deployment in 2018-19 and he delivered big time 35 goals 74 points like that crushed his previous career high of 46 points and so then going into this season Brian noted I remember over the summer like you know he was coming off this great season he had a 19.9 shooting percentage and he was saying oh you never know like it doesn't seem like he'll be able to repeat what he did and 
I guess, you know, he was right. Like uh, 36 points in 48 games in this season, which is only a 62 point pace was definitely a fall though. Of course, one explanation could be that knee injury that kept him out of games here and there. I remember he like would be held out of the third period every once in a while. So I'm curious to know what you think, uh, Shang, like going into next season, like first of all, like how is hurdles knee? Like, are we expecting that he's going to be a hundred percent when play resumes? And also do you think that hurdle is he this superstar that he gave us a, a glimpse of in 2018-19? Yeah, every expectation is that uh, Tommy is going to be 100% uh, going into next Great. season. Uh, we talked to uh, Doug Wilson a month ago, and he said actually that at, at that point a month ago, that hurdle was ahead of, of any projection they had in terms of his injury. So full expectation is that he should be totally healthy. And yeah, I actually, uh, you know, we, we, we've been pretty uh, uh, pretty pessimistic about a, a lot uh, with the Sharks and we should be, <laughs> but I, I think I think Hurdle is, is some someone that I would expect to be. Uh, I look at his talent level, and I think that guy should be 70, 80 point, you know, sixty at a low end every single season. He's not a you know what he was a couple of years ago when he was coming up and still actually recovering from another major knee injury a few years ago, right? Uh, but he's not a, a 40, 40 point guy, too much talent for that. And so I think we can rely on a good 60 to 80, you know, he's good both ways. Uh, he's, you know, impossible to knock off the puck uh, when, when, uh, when he's got it in, in uh, down low and he even skates quite well, you know, give him the, give him the puck in a neutral zone. Uh, he, in fact, uh, when, when the Sharks power play was kind of clicking a, a couple of years ago, um, he, he was sort of the, the go-to, you know, drop pass option, you know, to, to carry, carry, carry the puck uh, from the drop pass into the zone. And so that's a guy that has kind of the whole package. And so it would be a disappointment if he's not a 60 point guy every year at minimum. He didn't like, but can he go higher? Like, I like that's a great minimum to set. Mm-hmm. But like, I I want to know can Tomas Hurdle? Because at first we thought when uh, Pavelski left that like this was going to be Logan Couture's team. But then you step back a second and say, okay, well Logan Couture might have had his opportunities, but Tomas Hurdle might be the one we're still waiting to see more from. Uh, do you think, like you said, sixty point minimum, which is great, but is he someone who can really put a team on his back, or have we not seen that? in him yet he's heading into his age 27 season right Right. so I guess my question to you does he still have it in him to evolve a a bit further into that superstar or do you think a point per game pace is just a bridge too far um I I would I would uh, this is just a guess but I I don't think he's like let's say like a you know guy who kind of plays similar style same frame like Evgeny Malkin I don't think he's 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 of that caliber you know, but he's like maybe a step below that, which is, you know, pretty good. Yeah, and that's fair. That's a guy. Yeah, that's that's a guy who, like I said, 60 points is your minimum. But, you know, if he scores as he did a couple of years ago, point a game, you know, hits 80. Uh, that's that's pretty that's pretty good. And he, he's a good two way player. So that's still a one C, even if it isn't, you know, elite one C. Yeah, for sure. And Hurdle, I'm really excited to see what he'll be able to do next year once the knee is healthy, because it really did seem like he was getting hampered by that and having to you know, have all these precautions. Yeah, especially end of the season, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a player that we've been a big fan of for a while now is Timo Meyer. So I'd love to get your thoughts on him. Like he had a 36 point season, 2017, 18. And I remember we were looking at his, you know, shots and, you know, all this like per 60 stuff. And it seemed like if he could just get a few more minutes, this guy could be a real star. And it happened, right? Like he went from, you know, less than 15 minutes of time on ice to almost 17 minutes in 2018, 19. And those couple extra minutes helped lead to a fantastic 30 goal, 66 point second season in the league. Then like this past summer, we you know Pavelski heading to Dallas and we were wondering like maybe is it going to be Timo Meyer who is going to get like that power play one spot that Pavelski uh, leaves behind and we thought you know maybe he might be the next in line but it turned out not to be the case like Meyer first of all he stumbled out of the gate he only had 18 points through his first 44 games and he was like you know getting good even strength deployment playing with either Couture or Hurdle but it seemed like Evander Kane was the one who took over like you said on that top power play and then you know, once all the injuries hit, Meyer did find himself playing with LeBanc and Thornton frequently at the end of the season and finally landed on that top power play with, I guess it was Kane, LeBanc, Thornton, and Burns once everyone was injured. And Meyer, like, really stepped up. Like, with the injuries uh, that were happening on the Sharks, he got that extra power play deployment, and he ended the season with 21 points in 26 games, six power play points. So now when play resumes, do you think Meyer can continue the streak he was on before the pause? Like, do you think, and do you think maybe he's earned a shot on the top power play. I don't know who he would bump. I guess you could let us know. Or do you think he's just going to be a guy who's on the second power play and, you know, he, he's going to need injuries to get that extra deployment. 
Well, I think the expectation is for him to to be that player. The talent level is there. I, there's no reason uh, watching him that he shouldn't be a, like a perennial 35 goal guy. Uh, I talking to scouts this season. I actually wrote an extensive article about uh, Timo in February and just sort of his his struggles and what's behind it. And uh, one scout uh, told me that he thought that Timo was bringing his beef power forward game uh, for the you know just this year. Every time he's seen Timo, it's just it's the B game. Mm. Two years ago was the A game. You know, this past year was the B game. And there's a couple ways to look at it. Obviously, it's disappointing if, uh, when a guy that uh, so much is is riding on this guy, he, that's the game he's bringing. On the other hand, though, you can look at the fact that Timo still ended up with, I think, 21 goals at, at, at the pause. And this that's that's his B game. So what's so if he can find his A game uh, this coming season, then there's no reason again he shouldn't be popping uh, 35. And I think the talent level is there. And I believe actually he is the he is one guy uh, that 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 you should look to 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 pick up in in your drafts because he's a guy that's uh, not going to go as high as as you should. And the the, the his ability to kind of uh, exceed his expectations are definitely, definitely there. In terms of uh, just his deployment, that sort of thing, that is one area, uh, one question mark. Because uh, the, even though the the, the Sharks uh, up front, they are, as we said, uh, lacking uh, in depth in, in many ways. One, one place where they kind of have some depth, though, is who they would use kind of net front power play, a high slot power play. And that's kind of Timo, it seems like it's Timo's most natural position. You know, I've seen him off the wall and he doesn't seem as dangerous off the wall. And so for Timo, I think ideally you probably want to put him net front high slot. But the, the thing is, so you have Kane and you have uh, Hurdle ideally in those positions usually. And Kane actually had more power play goals than Pavelski this past year, I think, or that Pavelski had two years ago when Pavelski was your net front PP1. So I, I Kane Kane had I believe more power play goals than Pavelski, even though Kane is very very streaky. So so I don't know if he, Kane is a guy to rely on either. But uh, anyway, though that's those are kind of uh, roadblocks though for Timo to to ascend to uh, the power play one uh, position, uh, which he definitely has the talent for. But uh, there are guys in front of him uh, at this point who are you know pretty good too. And so that 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 could be kind of a, a obstacle between him and his uh, maximum, I guess, production. But otherwise, though, you know, everything else is in place uh, for him. And so if he can bring a higher level of kind of engagement in all levels of his game, which uh, that appeared to be lacking last year, uh, then I would fully expect him to to, to pop in uh, to be at least a regular 30, 35 guy. Yeah. It's really good to hear that you think Timo can find his A game and that what we were seeing in 1920 wasn't a true representation of his best. And I like that you just outlined the way he can get back to the top of his game. Another player uh, in a sort of similar position on the San Jose depth chart in terms of needing to refine his game and also fighting for time on the top power play is Kevin LeBanc, who we're really interested to get your take on because uh, he's someone who did his team a big favor by taking that one year, $1 million contract to try and uh, like, I, I don't know exactly what his motivation was. Maybe you want to shed light on that too in your answer, but uh, he probably could have taken more to LeBanc. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Uh, Had he really insisted on a longer-term contract rather than this huge discount he took? Because he had that really exciting breakout season in 18-19 where LeBanc put up 56 points as a 22- and 23-year-old, which is all the more impressive because of his 36 even-strength points, a lot of them came from the bottom six on the line with, well, a still pretty good Joe Thornton and Marcus Sorensen. And then we were hoping that he could take continue that step forward in 1920 because we thought LeBanc's power play deployment would hold and he'd be a lock to land a spot with Hurdle or Couture because uh, Pavelski, Donskoy, Nyquist left those spots open. And uh, then none of that really happened. He bounced around the lineup throughout the season. And when it was all said and done, LeBanc only finished with 33 points in 70 games and uh, no new contract signed yet. Of course, the season was still in progress. So who knows uh, what's the next thing? And again, maybe you can comment on the contract after telling us what the heck happened with Kevin LeBanc for him not to be able to build on last season's success. 
Well, first with the contract, yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, the assumption is that there was something worked out, but of course, nothing has materialized in terms of extension for LeBanc. And uh, why should it? He did not have a, a very good season. Um, and of course, it's also mysterious, too, in terms of this uh, sweetheart deal that he, that he signed, because the Sharks didn't really end up signing anybody to kind of take that place on the cap. That was sort of the assumption that they would right. sign players to make the team more more competitive around uh, around LeBanc and everybody else. And that didn't really happen, you know, unless you count signing Patrick Marlowe at the minimum as your big, you know, as, <laughs> as, as, as your big, uh, a free agent acquisition. So we'll see what happens with this contract. And uh, if there was anything agreed upon, uh, you know, must have been uh, sort of, it uh, must have been affected by just what happened this season. He did not have a kind of a, he did not take a step forward. And unlike Timo, I'm not fully convinced that, that uh, that LeBanc has that talent to to bring his game, you know, up to that level where there's no question that that he is a he's a, a terrific offensive presence. You know, he's a legitimate uh, power play uh, a specialist, very creative. He belongs on a power play one. I don't I don't question that. But it's other parts of his game that I don't see enough improvement in. And unlike 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 a Timo Meyer, and it, you know, I guess it's a little convenient to, to compare the two because they're both about the same age. Um, and it's a little unfair to the LeBanc though, because of course uh, Timo Meyer was a first round pick. Uh, Kevin LeBanc was a, I don't even remember. I think he was a seventh round pick, or he was a very late pick. He's not he's not of the same sort of pedigree that 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 Meyer is. But but I, I don't think that LeBanc necessarily has the physical abilities where you would expect. Uh, him to be as well-rounded a player as Timo should be, as Timo should grow into. Whereas LeBanc is, you know, a little slight in frame. He tries, but he can get knocked off, you know, knocked off pucks, mm. that sort of thing. And so that, that's what makes him question if he uh, is going to earn enough ice time to let that offensive ability kind of shine and be, you know, for fantasy purposes, you know, 60, 70 point guy, which, you know, he was sort of trending to be after his breakout season a couple of years ago, but, I think that the other flaws in his game, despite his his efforts, may kind of hold him back. Yeah, it seems like he was the type of player where sometimes he would get good deployment and then he would, like like you said, sort of ha- get punished or something by the coach. You know, maybe he'd make a mistake defensively and the next thing you know, he's on the bottom six and getting low minutes. So it's hard to depend on someone like that to produce. Like, it's great that he gets the power play deployment that he does. But yeah, it seems like, like you're saying, like Timo Meyer is someone that we could rely on a lot more to be consistent at even strength. Uh, so I wanted to switch now over to the goalies. Uh, actually, so before we started recording, uh, we got on the call and you noticed my Sharks hat and asked me yeah. if I'm a Sharks fan. And like, I decided to try becoming a Sharks fan when Eric Carlson, because I love Eric Carlson, he got traded to San Jose. And I thought this will be so fun to cheer for a, an exciting playoff team, much more fun than being a Sense fan. <laughs> and uh yeah, it was it was great watching the Sharks, but one thing that was very frustrating was having a team that I like where the goalie seems like they can't stop the puck. Like it was very frustrating. The Sharks would have to score like three in that playoff run in 2018-19. It seemed like if they didn't score four goals in a game, they didn't have a chance to win. And so I want to ask, like, what's the plan here in net for San Jose? Like Martin Jones, his tenure with the Sharks, like it started strong in 2015-16. He won 37 games at a 918 save percentage. But since then, it's pretty much been all downhill in the last couple of seasons have been on like a whole other level of like negatively like say percentages less than 900 uh there's even a stretch in february of this past season where it looked like jones had finally seeded the job completely like aaron dell was playing almost every game during that stretch in february dell ended, ended up actually having a pretty solid season right he had a 907 save percentage which i think is a lot around the league average uh so yeah but now of course aaron dell is a ufa so what is the sharks plan for the net moving forward? Like, do you think that Arendelle is someone who is going to be extended or do you think the Sharks could go crazy and go for one of these big name UFA goalies like a Crawford, Leonard, Holtby, Markstrom, Grice? Like, it's a pretty long list. Um, Though, of course, I'd imagine Martin Jones's contract would make it tough for them to sign another big name goalie. They've still got four more years at this $5.75 million per year contract. So yeah, any sense of what the Sharks are planning to do uh, in nets next year? Well, yeah, they're definitely uh, stuck with that contract. It's uh, pretty untradeable. And so I, I think that the best bet for them would be to sign a, a stronger, a more reliable kind of 1A, 1B goalie than, than Adele, even though Dell did have a pretty nice season. But Dell uh, doesn't necessarily have a track record of being able to kind of carry the mail if he needs to for a long stretch. 
And so I, I think uh, with Jones, you have to, you know, and you have to look at the positives, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, because uh, you have to kind of, uh, um, you, you have to kind of rely on those because you don't have much else in, in, in a way with that big contract. And the positives with Jones is after Bob Bugner took over, uh, that was December 12th of this past season, uh, Dell's save percentage was 9-12, which is, of course, better than league average. Uh, Jones, after he almost lost a job to Dell in February, he actually rebounded nicely at the end of the season. So Jones' save percentage under Bugner actually ended up being uh, uh, nine, uh, 96 uh, okay. Point nine zero six. So not not as terrible. Uh, Jones is uh, actually Jones had kind of re- retaken a job in the last in the last month uh, before the season paused. So the last uh, eight games uh, uh, from February fifteenth, when Jones came back after taking like a two week break uh, to the end of the season, uh, Jones's save percentage was nine twenty seven. Of course, small sample size, just eight games. You know, Jones had a great stretch in the playoffs, 2018-19 playoffs, too, where uh, at the end of the series against Vegas in the Colorado series, Jones was uh, pretty good uh, throughout those. So you can't really rely on those. But, again, if if one guy is making four years, you know, for, uh, after the season, four years, 5.7 left, you that's what you got to hope on because how else can you get rid of it? You need some, You need that to turn around. So I think the way to make it work though is you need someone more reliable next next to Jones, even if that's gonna you know add to your already, already cap strapped team. The sharks, yeah, the, the sharks cap is tight, but you gotta add somebody who, it, you know, uh, it's gonna be probably more expensive than Adele, but maybe a guy like we saw like Halak sign for a very you know pretty low contract for a guy yeah. of, his, of his talent uh, recently. So you gotta hope that you can get someone of that caliber for maybe three. I think Dell made 1.9 this past year, so you're still adding a, a good mill or so. But that's the only—I don't know how do you say it? That's the only a responsible thing. It's a responsible thing to do if if you're trying to be a playoff team next year, uh, because you know you cannot rely on uh, Martin Jones. Uh, but you, you have to hope that he can turn it around. <laughs> but you have to put someone next to him that that you're more sure can kind of carry the load. If need be, and Aaron Dell did have a nice stretch uh, when Bugner took over, but you know we have to look back too at at the fact that you know uh, two years ago, uh, you know Eric Carlson's first season with the Sharks, Martin Jones was struggling terribly, and Dell did get a couple shots to kind of you know to to carry the, to try to carry the load when uh, when Martin Jones was struggling, and he did not kind of uh, run with the ball, and even this season, earlier this season, when uh, when Jones was struggling, you know Dell had his chances too. Um, so I think one thing that Sharks will kind of hang their, uh, hang or try to rely on for this coming season is that the, their defensive, uh, their defense did improve in terms of, uh, the quality chances given up and, and even the goals allowed when Bob Bookner took over. So they're probably, they'll probably look to kind of bring those defensive improvements over into next season. Um, but anyway, uh, so for fantasy purposes, for drafting any Sharks goalie, good luck. Yeah, I made that mistake for the last time. I don't even know if it was this year. It feels like it's been uh, like I did it one too many times. And it like, however, recently I did it, it was too recent. Like I I need to forget that I ever because like you said, it's like, you're just hoping on Martin Jones. I'm out of hope. Martin Jones is done. Good formula. It's good formula. I mean, for (laughs) years, like from like what, 2000, like 2004 on or whatever, you can rely on the Sharks to basically play good defense in front of their goalie and carry whatever goalie, whether it's Nabokov or Antoniemi or Martin Jones early on to a, you know, a a pretty nice overall, you know, a a lot of wins, uh, good goals against, a few shutouts here and there. But the, the Sharks team defense, you know, uh, wa- wasn't as strong this past year and team wasn't as good. And so basically at that point, then you need you need a goal goalie to stand, stand, stand on his head a bit more if the team in front of you isn't as good. But you can't rely on Martin Jones or Aaron Dell to do that on a, on a, on a regular basis. Yeah, that's fair. And I guess we'll see who they sign. I don't know. I wonder if Tomas Grice or like a yeah, Anton Hudobin. He's, he's be a Sharks, yeah, a property. Kudobin is would be the ideal kind of guy, but he might be a little more expensive. Right? Yeah. He, yeah, he and Grice might be a little more expensive than, uh, yeah, than the Sharks want to pay. But um, yeah, I mean, they, 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 they can't. I, it's, I, it'd be hard to see them go with 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 Jones and Dell again. Uh, they might have to. Because they're stuck with Jones, and 
you know, Dell showed enough upside this past year. We're like, well, he's going to be, you know, uh, half, you know, he's, he's definitely going to be, he's probably going to be like 50% cheaper than a Kudobin or a Grice. Of course, yeah. But, you know, uh, uh, Dell, as good as a backup as he's, as, as, he, as he's been more or less over the years, like there's no kind of evidence that like you can give him 40 games and you're going to get uh, above average performance. Of course, yeah. And so, okay, before we let you go, one thing that our listeners always want us to ask about are prospects. And, you know, some teams have a lot of, like, new up-and-coming players that we're excited yeah. about. I couldn't really think of anyone on the Sharks we've seen yet, but there are a couple of players that I've seen, you know, people talk about that they're excited about them coming soon. Uh, one of them being Ryan Merkley, who had a really great season with the London Knights in the OHL, 76 points in 60 games. There's also uh, this guy that was traded to the Sharks from Ottawa, Jonathan Dallin, who I'm seeing had a, a strong season uh, in, I don't know what this is, Timra IKA. I don't know what league that is, Brian. That's or, a or, Swedish, uh, Swedish. Uh, league. Uh, that's the second level, though. It's not, it's, not the, it's not the top level. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. So are, are people excited about these guys? Or are there any names in particular that you want to throw out that, you know, Sharks fans or people looking at the new up-and-coming crop like should be especially interested in? Um, I think Merkley is definitely interesting because he does have immense offensive talent, but there's a lot of uh, defensive shortcomings in his game that they're improving, but they're not quite a level where I would really see him being a contributor uh, for the Sharks this uh, coming season or the 2020-21 uh, season, that is. Um, he also is a right uh, a right shot defenseman, and the right shot offensive defenseman, the Sharks have plenty of those guys <laughs> in uh, Burns and Carlson. And so, and so uh, I, I'm not sure if, if – uh, I'm not sure if the team defense is prepared to, to, to trot out Burns, followed by Eric Carlson, followed by Brian Merkley for 60 minutes. Maybe Burns could go back to right wing. Remember he maybe, did that for a maybe. while? Yeah, or maybe if they play up the, the power play, for the, the whole game is on a power play, they'll, they'll be fine. But, <laughs> but anyway, so I would uh, I would assume that, that Merkley they're going to be very careful with and uh, make sure that the defensive side of this game is on point until they, 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 they put him into the lineup on a regular basis. Um, so I think if you're looking for the, besides that, then, then we're talking about really under the radar guys, you know, not guys that like, I don't know, the Jack Hughes types or the whatever, you know, the guys that you think are going to come in and, you know, win a, like maybe win a call or pop in 20 goals and any of that kind of thing. So Jonathan Dahlin is, is a good under radar guy because the Sharks, as we've mentioned, definitely need offensive talent. And he did have a great season, even though it was for a uh, second tier, a uh, Swedish league. Uh, but I think every, every sign points to him getting a good shot with the Sharks this coming year. And they, they're going to, they're probably going to have spots to fill and uh, spots to fill also uh, on scoring lines too. And he does have a, he does have a, a tremendous amount of offensive talent. Everyone agrees, you know, I think questions with him are more his skating, that sort of thing. So, so he's going to get a good look. I think a good underrated guy too is no breaker. Uh, no breaker. Uh, uh, he's, he was a Sharks draft pick. Uh, I think I'm not sure what, what, uh, what, what year he was, but anyway, he had a very nice uh, rookie AHL season this past year. Uh, he skates like the wind. Uh, and he has pretty good offensive ability besides that. And also, too, he plays a pretty uh, uh, pretty uh, uh, hard-nosed game for a guy. He's a smaller guy, so he's not, not like he's a power forward. But, you know, he gets, he gets involved. He's, uh, he's strong. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's strong. appears uh, to have a strong lower body, that sort of thing. And so he's not going to get knocked out the fuck, that sort of thing. And so once again, too, the Sharks will have opportunities. So a guy like him, uh, his upside, based on scouts I talked to, they they like him as being, you know, a distant shot at being like a 20-goal guy. But he might be a good kind of under-radar guy, you know, I don't know, waiver wire or whatever. But a, a guy to, to pay attention to who might get a, a better look at the Sharks uh, this coming year. And I think that might, that might do it. They don't really have a lot of offensive talent. There's probably a couple other guys uh, that – that that could that could surprise, but I think those are probably your your best bets in terms of kind of uh, yeah, Dolan and Gregor as maybe kind of sleeper sharks uh, forward prospects. No, Gregor just he was the fourth round pick of the Sharks in 2016, and like oh, you said, you. Shang, he had a great first pro season with the Barracuda of the AHL, at 19 points in 25 games, and he scored 43 goals in his la- in 63 games in his final season in the WHL. So, like you said, there's a goal scorer's pedigree, and not just for your fantasy team. I actually remember I had him as like a deep ad a couple mm-hmm. times when I was uh, like ranking my waiver wire ads, but he like because oh you know he's I I've heard he can shoot and. Uh, 
he ended up with five points in 28 games. Of course, not getting ideal deployment. Like right. use it. Hopefully, he takes that step forward next year. Uh, okay, I think that's almost all we have for you. The one question we've been asking everybody we have on this series is looking ahead to next season. Uh, I just want to get your opinion. If you could pick one shark that you expect to be the biggest positive surprise next season, so someone who you might get a little late uh, in a fantasy draft who might way exceed the expectation that you'd have based on where you drafted them, and then pick another shark who you think is going to be the biggest disappointment, so the person you'll invest the most in and get the least return on commensurately. So what do you think? Well, definitely, uh, he's not going to be a, a late guy. Uh, I don't play a lot of fantasy hockey, so you have to uh, uh, let me know. But what do you, what do you, what do you think a guy like Timo Meyer will go after this season? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people might be a little lukewarm. I know he like the hype was strong about him going into last season, and I think people were reaching a little bit, hoping for that top power play deployment. But after the setback this year, I, I could see him slipping, and people actually forgetting about him a little bit. So he he could definitely be a good candidate. Yeah, so I think he's a guy that I expect to be a 30-35 guy, so... I mean, it's a definitely a great answer. It's not the right answer. I'm hoping the right answer will be Eric Carlson, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Timo Meyer is good. <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing about in terms of like a disappointment guy. Like uh, guys like Carlson and Burns, I think, are sort of in the same boat where they're not going to be your your top defenseman drafted, right, in a, in a fantasy draft, but they're going to be pretty high up there, and it's going to be a lot of it based on their past reputations, right? And so you may get the payoff where they produce like they have in the past, but you also may get a payoff where Brent Burns turns 35, Eric Carlson suffers another injury. And so mm-hmm. they, they, they're, they you know, they're kind of a... Uh, uh, you know, high risk, high, high, you know, you know, uh, high reward kind of, kind of picks there. Right. And in terms of, I guess, like flat out disappointments, um, I think one guy, you know, we haven't talked about that much, but a guy like Evander Kane, who's, you know, a traditionally talented player, but he's kind of a streaky guy. And, and so that streakiness, you know, he had a, a actually for a, a very difficult truck season. He, he was one of the few, I guess, positives in terms of production, you know, who, a guy who, at least matched, if not exceeded, you know, a production in some ways, especially on the power play. Um, so he, he, so he's a guy that, that, that may, in terms of just kind of his career track record, maybe, maybe he, he falls off a, a little bit. Um, but there wasn't anybody because the Sharks are pretty much, you know, very top heavy team. And so there, there aren't a lot of like, like mid, mid range guys that would disappoint you. Like, I don't think anybody's drafting a Joe Thornton or a Patrick Marlowe anymore. Right. So, yeah. Well, also, it's just they're coming off this season, like we've discussed over this past hour, like all yeah. these players already disappointed us. So now for next year's, like, how can you be more disappointed? We're hoping now for the opposite <laughs> for all these guys to bounce back. And I was really heartened by what you said, you know, about Timo Meyer potentially having this A game that's still going to come, you know, Tomas Hurdle's knee is going to be better. Maybe Eric Carlson needed that year for his groin yeah. to be better. So hopefully the best is yet to come. Even Martin Jones had that good six games before the end of the season, like you brought all up. Right, so my, my advice, my stage advice, guys, is don't draft Martin Jones. Okay, yeah. No, that's definitely good advice. Done and done. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Shank, thank you so much for joining us and being so generous with your time. Before we let you go, do you want to specifically plug anything? Like Brian said at the start, of course, at Fear the Fin, at The Point Hockey, and then yourself at Shang Peng on Twitter. But uh, is there anything else you want to let people know that they can do to follow you and everything you're doing? uh, Just uh, find me on Twitter uh, at Shang underscore Peng. Uh, S-H-E-N-G underscore P-E-N-G and uh, yeah, let's uh, hopefully uh, let's talk soon again guys okay great yeah thanks and obviously we'll link to that in our show notes if people didn't catch that so thanks so much again for joining us have a great rest of your night and good luck to the Sharks next season I'm hoping All that right, I'll be yeah. able to wear th- this hat proudly once again soon I want to cover playoffs I like covering playoffs I don't like covering bad teams guys the players are crabby too so <laughs> <laughs> awesome Thanks so much. All right. Take it easy, guys. Thanks, Shang. <laughs> All right. What an interview with Shang Peng. Thanks so much again for joining us and lending us your expertise all about the San Jose Sharks. I hope that you all enjoyed and have been enjoying this beat series up to this point. That, according to my count, is six down and 25 to go. And so we'll just try to keep bringing you these episodes twice a week. And we'd love to hear your feedback, right? Uh, We could make little tweaks or changes to the types of questions that we ask. Do you like our final question we've been asking to each beat writer? Let us know. At Keepin Carlson, we'd love to discuss. But with that, I think we've taken enough of your time, dear listeners. So Brian, let's cue the outro music. (laughs) 
and you can go ahead and read us the credits. You say that like we're taking people's time, but I think they're giving it to us, for which we're very, very appreciative. Uh, okay. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our newest one, Maybe You. Logo art by Brandon Weeb. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dabra Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dabra Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Hockey Reference, and Hockey Database. Great job, as always, Brian. Looking forward to talking to you soon as we keep this train rolling. Me too. You only talk to me for the purposes of podcasting. It's like we're not even friends anymore. So I look forward to our next podcast. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I still talk to you. Like, for whatever the reason, I'm talking to you more than any of my other friends. So take what you can get, okay? It's, life is busy. Thank you. I appreciate every moment. <laughs> uh, so say your catchphrase and let's get out of here. Uh, until next time, uh, San Jose and you should keep on keeping Carlson. Not William Carlson. Like Shanks. <laughs> oh, Come on. God. High shooting percentage much? Back in 2017-18? <laughs> I think so. <laughs>